But this morning we are going to continue on and we're looking at home, part two. We're looking at the second part of the revelation that God gave to the Apostle John about our heavenly home. And we have the blessing and the benefit of looking at that this morning. But first I want to focus in on what we're discussing here this morning. And as we're discussing our home, and as we're discussing where we are going to spend eternity, and what we are going to spend eternity doing, there's a question that is begging to be asked. Are we being fit for heaven today? Because that's the question we need to ask. When we look forward to going somewhere... When we look forward to arriving at our destination, whether it's a vacation, whether it's a new place you're going to check out, whether it's actually returning home from a trip, you prepare and get ready for where you're going. It is no less imperative for us as believers to be prepared and to be made fit for our heavenly home. That destination that is just beyond the sunrise, that in a blink of an eye, we'll be there. The Apostle Peter, in the wisdom that God gave him in Second Peter chapter 3, had this to say, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. And then he asked the question, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will be melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless, and to regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort even as they do the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. Yet you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The Apostle Peter begged the question that was needing to be asked. Since we know where we are going, since we know the end of this earth, how ought we to conduct ourselves now in order to be fit for our time spent in eternity in heaven? Heaven will be spent worshiping. Worship is life. Life is worship. What are we doing now to be prepared to worship. If we don't enjoy worship now, how do we expect to enjoy it in heaven? Because worship is focused on God. It is focused on the character of God. 
on the truth of who God is. And if we don't enjoy Him now, what makes you think that will change when you get to eternity? Check your heart now. As the Apostle Paul and Peter both said, examine yourselves often to make sure that you are in the faith. If you are growing in the qualities that God says are righteous and holy, you will be ready for all things. But if you are not, it is worthless. The Apostle Peter says that in 2 Peter chapter 1, where he lists the qualities that are befitting righteousness. I would, ex- I would encourage you guys to read 2 Peter chapter 1 and look at the characteristics that Peter describes as if you are growing in these characteristics, you are neither useless nor unfruitful for the work of the Lord, but you are being prepared for that great day. The internals of the great city of God is the character of God and his people. And as we are getting a blessing this morning because the Apostle John looked upon the city with his heavenly angel that was guiding him and he looked upon the outward appearance of the city. And if that wasn't good enough, which we all know it was, God said, nah, bring him in this city and let him see the internal characteristics of the city itself. So this week we get to see what does the inside of the great city of heavenly Jerusalem look like? And we have that blessing. I don't know about you, but if last week didn't blow your mind and how gorgeous and how wonderful it is, this week will do the same. And if it doesn't, y'all need to check your heart. Because this is what we are aiming ourselves for. This is the end result of righteousness and our salvation and our sanctification. The end goal of sanctification is what? Glorification. Glorification happens when we step into the presence of God when we are called home. Whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's in a hundred years. Whenever that day comes, you will be glorified because you will see Him as He is. Again, if you cannot enjoy worship today, why do you think you'll enjoy it for eternity? Too often the church has distorted its view of heaven. That it will be a place of pure and perfect selfish enjoyment for all eternity where I will know everything and will be able to do all the things that I've always wanted to do here. It is a false view and a low view of God and of heaven. Heaven will be the unadulterated worship of a holy God in perfect perfection for all eternity to serve Him and to love Him without the hindrance of sin or our flesh. There is nothing better than that. And if I can't get an amen on that one, we need to wake up a little bit. But this morning we're going to go ahead and jump into our text. In Revelation chapter 21, we're going to start in the second half of verse 21. So 21, 21. The second half and we're going to read through chapter 22, verse 5. Revelation 21, verse 21, the second half of that verse. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, 
and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb, in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him, and they will see him face to face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glories of heaven, because the glory of heaven is you, and is the Christ, the Lamb of God. And Father, as you have us here walking upon this earth, you call us to righteousness and holiness. You call us to imitate Christ. You call us to be holy because you are holy. You call us to preach the gospel because the gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not the gospel of man. It is not the gospel of any one person. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is pure and it is holy, and it is righteous, and it is true. And because we understand that, we can worship you this morning. We can praise you and thank you that we have been washed white as snow, that we have been made pure, that we have been set apart for the purpose of worship, that we have been set apart for holiness and righteous living. Father, we just pray that you will guide us this morning through your word, that we would worship you with hearts that are pure and right before you, with minds that are undistracted. And Father, with great joy as we look forward to the great day of the Lord when He comes and snatches His church home. Father, we praise You and thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Home. It's a good word. makes most people feel good, comfortable, familiar. But even if it doesn't, our eternal home ought to. Because our eternal home, we will be blessed to see God as He is. We will be able to worship and walk and live righteously. Perfect righteousness. No sin. No failure. No failing to measure up. No tears, no sadness, no pain, no separation. But we will all be blessed to be with the Lord. We will all be blessed to see the glory of God. But again, if the external appearance of the New Jerusalem wasn't enough to tantalize our senses and spur us on to joy and looking forward, God gives us a glimpse of the inside of the holy city. 
and it is holy because God is there. And all the people who are there are holy because they have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So we're going to march through our first point this morning, and it's the inside of our home. And we're going to go through verse 21 through verse chapter two, uh, 22, verse 2. The first thing John notes is that the street of the city was like pure gold, like transparent glass. Again, we do not understand gold in that form. We have never seen it. There is no gold on this earth that is that pure. There is no gold on this earth that can compare to what John sees here. And it's transparent because God's glory shines through it all and illuminates everything. There is nothing that blocks the glory of God from going where it goes. And the joy of that is, is you will never be outside of the glory of God. Forever and ever, we will always live within the glory of God. And the purity and the holiness of the light that He shines on His people. And it's beautiful. And there's nothing like it. But that's something that we have to look forward to. That's something that we can set our affections on. Being able to live within the holy light of God and the Lamb for all eternity. Nothing hidden. Nothing that's not touched by the personal presence of God. Always. It will also add beauty. Because we know that God is beautiful and what God has made is beautiful. If you don't believe me, look around you. People are made in the image of God. The creation is beautiful. We had the, the privilege and the pleasure of watching deer across the street this morning. Watching birds. Watching the animals. I don't know about you, but we enjoy nature a lot in our home. And it's beautiful. And yet it's still all tainted with sin. And one day we will be able to witness all of the created glory of God without the taint of sin but expounded within the light of the glory of God. But John notes something else that grabbed his attention. Verse 22, And I saw no temple in it. Now why does John note that? Well, because at this time, and until this new earth and heaven is created, there is a temple in heaven now. And we're going to look at some of the verses. Go back to chapter 7 and verse 15. In the book of Revelation. Chapter 7 and verse 15. It says this. For this reason they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. There is a temple in heaven. Chapter 11 verse 19. Chapter 11 verse 19. And the temple of God which is in heaven. So there is a temple now. God dwells within his temple. The temple of God is always denotes where God lives, where God spends his time, where God rules from. Chapter 14, verse 15. Chapter 14, verse 15. And then another angel came out of the temple. Then down in verse 17. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. And then in chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. And after these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony was op in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, 
clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels the seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. And then in chapter 16 and verse 1, And then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying, And then in verse 17 of the same chapter, And then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. John has noted throughout the book of Revelation that there is a temple in heaven in which God dwells. So John when he enters the new Jerusalem in the holy city, expects to see a temple. Because God dwells in his temple. And its temple, it protects man from his glory that we cannot see and live. But John enters the city and he notes, And I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. We finally have complete access to God, not hindered by any building. God's glory is not hidden within a temple. We no longer have to go to a house of worship, to a chapel or a cathedral or a big building or an industrial park or a mall. But we can go in the city and just worship because the temple is God himself and the Lamb. We have access, complete access at all times to God. We don't have to go and look for Him. He's there. He's not hidden or shrouded. And as the Apostle John in his Gospel in chapter 4 and verse 23 says that God seeks those who worship in spirit and in truth, for they will see His face, right? And that is what we all have the blessing of, is being able to be in the presence of God and of the Lamb permanently, physically, spiritually, in a way that satisfies deeper than anything we've ever been satisfied by. Because God and the Lamb are its temple. That is a great blessing to know that we can go to heaven and have such communion and access to God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That we don't have to look for a house of worship. We don't have to travel to a house of worship. But we can worship at all times because we will always be in the presence of God. And then John notes this in verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. No sun, no moon, so we have no external lights. There is no need of any external light. Why? Well, J.A. Seiss had this to say, and it was a good quote, so I'm going to read it for you this morning. And that light shining is not from any material combustion nor from any consumption of any fuel that needs to be replaced as one supply burns out. For this is the uncreated light of Him who is light, dispensed by and through the Lamb as the everlasting lamp, to the home and the hearts and the understandings of His glorified saints. 
When Paul and Silas laid wounded in the, and bound in the inner dungeon in the prison of Philippi, they still had that sacred light which enabled them to beguile the night watches with happy songs. When Paul was on his way to Damascus, a light brighter than that of the noonday sun shone round about him, irradiating his whole being with new sights and understanding and making his soul and body ever afterwards a light in the Lord. When Moses came down from the mountain of his communion with God, his face was so luminous that his brethren could not endure to look upon it. He was in such close fellowship with the light that he became informed with the light. And he came to be uh, he came to the camp as the very lamp of God, glowing with the glory of God. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, that same light streamed forth from all the body and raiment of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And with reference to the very time when this city comes into being and into place, Isaiah the prophet says, The moon shall be ashamed, and the sun shall be confounded. Shamed, because it outbe- the outbeaming glory with which then shall appear in the new Jerusalem, leaving no more need for, that, for them to shine upon it, since the glory of God lights it, and the lamp is the light, uh, the lamb is the light thereof. It is the uncreated light of God. No sun, no moon, no stars need to shine, because nothing can shine bright enough to shine through and above the glory of God and the Lamb. And as you'll see later, that astounds John so much that he repeats it often. Then we see in verse 24 and 25 and 26, the nations will walk by its light, the light of God, the light of the lamp of the Lamb of God, by that uncreated light of who God is. They will walk by the light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed, and it will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. That word nations is a word ethnos. That word ethnos means people. Often it's been translated in the New Testament as Gentiles. There's no definitive explanation given here of what these verses mean, except the fact that all glory and honor will go to God and to the Lamb. That no matter what comes in the city or out of it, everything will surrender all to the glory of God. Every person will surrender glory and worship and honor to God. And the fact that there is no nighttime there is because the glory of God cannot be dimmed enough to make it night. The glory of God shines so brightly and so great that you can never dim it to make nighttime. In the daytime, you don't ever need to fear. You can always see what's around you. You have comfort in light. Mankind likes light. Whether by fire, by lamp, by flashlight by headlights on a vehicle or on a buggy, if you're Amish. But lamps, lights, mankind is comforted in light. Has anybody ever been to like the Mammoth Caves in Kentucky? A couple people. 
Did you go? Did you guys experience when you go down in the caves a long ways and then they turn off the lights and it's literally so dark you can't even see your hand in front of your face? Yeah. That's not comforting to most people. Most people freak out. But in that situation, most people don't because they know they're going to turn the lights right back on. <laughs> you hope. <laughs> and hope the generator doesn't go out, right? But no, man is comforted by light. And in heaven, there will never be any lack of light. You will always have light. You will never have need to fear. And it says, and its gates will never be closed. Why? What was the point and purpose of a walled city? At nighttime, they closed their gates. Why? To keep out criminals, thieves, the unwanted, those who are coming in at night to do harm, those who come in to wage war, in the nighttime, because they think they can get in and it's safe, right? Because they're cloaked by darkness. But there is no nighttime. The gates are never closed. It speaks of the eternal security and rest that we have in Christ and in God in heaven. We have permanent and perfect protection. We will never be without the light of God and His comforting presence. We will never need to feel scared or ashamed. We will always live in the comfort and protection and the perfection of the light of God. How many of you have heard the word, the Shekinah glory of God? Yeah. If not, look it up. But it's that uncreated light of God that shines forth, that is brighter than anything. It never fades, it never dims. We will have perfect rest and security. Back in Revelation 14 and verse 13, God said this, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Why? Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors. We will have perfect rest and protection to rest. How many of you, if you feel threatened, can rest? No. But in heaven, we will have perfect rest because we will always have perfect protection. That's why the gates will never be closed. The glory and the honor of the nations. Again, we go back to the chapter 4 and verse 10 in Revelation where the elders, what? Bow low and cast their crowns before the Lord. They cast the glory that they have before the Lord because they are not worthy of it and God is worthy of it. This is the idea that we have here that the nations will bring their glory unto the Lord. They will give honor and homage to God the Father and to the Son and to the Spirit. There will never be a lack of ideas and reasons to worship in heaven. You will always be able to worship rightly. Verse 27. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Again, if your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, none of that enters. Because we saw already the judgment of those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Again, John is reiterating the fact that those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life are His, complete and perfect. And those are the ones that will be there. Those are the ones that will be worshiping for all eternity a holy and awesome God. We never need to fear anything because God has ordained this way and this path and this hour for worship and protection and comfort. 
nothing unclean, nothing that practices abominations or lying. And that's hard for us to imagine because we live in a world that is full of abominations and lying and despair and horror. No more will we have to deal with that. And then John states next in verse 1 and verse 2. And then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now remember, back in chapter 21 and verse 1, it says there's no longer any sea. There's no sea, there's no moon, so there's no hydrologic cycle. Which means, how does the river continue to get its water when there's no rainfall? Because the hydrologic cycle controls rainfall. Well, it's, John states it emphatically here. Because the water of life, clear as crystal, is coming from where? The throne of God and from the Lamb. This is symbolizing the fact that when Christ said, I am the water of life, he who drinks from me will never thirst again. But when he drinks of me, the Spirit will bring about springs of living water flowing up from him. It's that picture and that idea that eternity will always be because its source comes from God. Its source flows from the very character and being of God and of His Christ. And we will drink of it freely. And we will be filled up. And salvation and eternal security comes right from God. That's the picture that John says here. As he gives us this idea that the river of water of life is flowing. Bless you. That is why it doesn't ever dry up. Because its source never is dry. Its source is never lacking. Its source can never not provide. Its source symbolizes our eternal supply from God. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 12 and verse 13 had this to say of the water of life. Chapter 12 and verse 3. Therefore you will joyously draw water from where? From the springs of salvation. The Apostle John, in his Gospel, in chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, speaking of the well of Jacob. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Then in John chapter 7, speaking of the high day of Sukkot, Jesus said this in verse 38, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Christ is the source of the living water. And John affirms that here in the eternal state, that God and the Lamb are still the source of living water. Clear as crystal, again, the water is made to reflect the glory of God. Now, for you young kids, we all know that there are such things called what? Rainbows. Right? Do you guys know how rainbows happen? Yes? Do you know how rainbows happen too? Yeah. The light shines through the water, right? And it makes the colors. Well, 
Here it's talking about the river of God that flows clear as crystal and God's light will shine through it. What do you think will happen when God's light shines through the water? Rainbows. Lots of colors. Yeah, that's exciting. It'll be a beautiful thing. We will have the river of God flowing through the middle of the street of the city and it'll shine with rainbow colors. That's really cool, isn't it? Yeah. God's design is a beautiful thing. The glory and beauty of heaven will be unmatched. Not only is it source from God, but the beauty created through the light is the source of God. Because the light is uncreated, it is the glory of God himself. And then John notes one thing, that on either side of the river was the tree of life. Now we've seen the tree of life before, have we not? Yeah. Where did we see the tree of life before? Back in the Garden of Eden, right? So we go back to Genesis chapter 2. So we are looking at the tree of life in heaven, which is the counterpart of the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. But God said this of the tree of life in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And out of the ground God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing in the sight and good for food. And the tree of life also was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God made a tree of life in the garden of Eden and man was never allowed to eat from it. But in heaven we will be able to eat from the tree of life. We will be able to partake of it. The Jewish community looked at the tree of life as a source of blessing. And Solomon, in the wisdom given him, wrote much about the blessing of the tree of life. In Proverbs, I'm going to read read through a few of the Proverbs that speaks of this. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 18, speaking of wisdom and the blessing of wisdom, Solomon said this, For she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. Proverbs 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. The fruit of the righteous, the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? The fruits of the Spirit are a tree of life. Therefore, the character of God is a tree of life. Then in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12, The one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. I must have, oh, I'm sorry, chapter 13, verse 12, I read 13, 13. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Again, God will fulfill all our desires in heaven as we will see him face to face. And then Proverbs 15 and verse 4. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. And we know that there will be no perversion in heaven. It will be pure and perfect and great and awesome. And then as we read 
in chapter in verse 2, on either side of the river was the tree of life. And what did it have? Bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Now, again, John is not talking about a literal month. He's couching a phrase in the comfort of time because we are people within time. But it's saying that there will be not a lack of fruit bearing at all times because in eternity there is no time. And then he says this, and this is a peculiar little phrase. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. How many of you have kind of stopped at that and like, Lord, how does that make sense when there's no sickness, no pain, no death? How are the tree, the leaves of the trees healing for the nations? Well, if you look at the root word of healing, it's the word therapia. What does that sound like? What does the word therapia sound like? Sounds like therapy, right? Okay. Well, if you take the word therapia, it means life-giving, health-giving, or therapeutic. It's like super, supernatural vitamins, right? You take vitamins not because you're sick. You take vitamins to promote good health and generate good health, right? Same thing here. The leaves of the tree are for the therapy of the nations. Good-giving, life-giving, healthy. Heaven's going to be full of of greatness and glory and perfect health. And the leaves of the tree are to continue to promote good health. Everything in heaven will be of benefit to those who live there. It is not that God is saying there will be pain and sorrow and death. And that's why you need healing. It's this will continue to promote good health and strength and vitality. Everything in heaven that is touched by God will be for the benefit and the blessing of his people. That's what the Apostle John is getting to. Not to combat illness, but to bless and to make full and to make strong. Now let's look at our second point this morning, and it's the fullness of our home, verses 3 through 5. The first thing John notes is this, there is no longer any curse. The most astounding thing to John was there was no longer any curse. Where do we find the curse? Well, let's go back in our Bibles. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2 verse 17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Why? For in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. Death was the greatest weapon of the curse. Genesis 3, verses 22, or I'm sorry, yeah, Genesis 3, verses 13 through 19. Here's the curse. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, (coughs) excuse me, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and the dust you will eat. All the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your your pain in childbirth, and in pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. 
both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That is the curse. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says that all creation groans under the curse. There will no longer be any curse. That's the one thing John notes right away. No more curse. No more death. The land that we live upon will be fruitful and perfect. It will bring forth its fruit and its crops without the sweat of our brow. It will bring forth every good and great thing without toil and without labor. Because God will bless it. There will be no curse. And then John notes, and because there is no longer any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Because the scripture tells us God cannot dwell among sin. He cannot look upon it. And because there is no curse and there is no sin, God can dwell among his people forever. The beauty of heaven is the fact that we will be able to live with God perfectly. And then John notes, because God and the Lamb are in it, his bondservants will serve him. John MacArthur had this quote, and I found it quite tantalizing to think about. And he said this, They will spend all of eternity carrying out the infinite variety of tasks that the limitless mind of God can conceive. We will spend all eternity serving God in the infinite amount of ways that His limitless mind can think for us to serve Him. Oh, the joys of heaven and the glories untold. We will be able to serve Him in perfect service We will be able to serve God. But you know God adds another layer to that. God promises that the Lord Jesus Christ will serve his people as well. Turn to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. I'm sorry, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. I was going to say, John didn't sound right. Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Verses 35 through 40. And Christ is teaching his disciples to be ready. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master, who is Christ, when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and he knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Why? Truly I say to you that he, speaking of the master, will gird himself to serve and to have them recline at the table and will come and wait upon them. We have the promise that Christ himself will serve his people in eternity. But that we also have the blessing and the benefit of being of service to our God and to Christ. We will be blessed to see him face to face. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are what? The pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
We will be blessed because we will be pure in heart. We will see Him face to face. How do we know that we will be without sin? Well, let's read about that. Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. Exodus 33 and verse 20. And he took the calf. Oh, sorry. That was 32. 33, verse 20. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. John chapter 1. Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 18. John 1, verse 18. For no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Then in John chapter 6, verse 46. John 6, verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 16. Speaking of the glory of Christ, who alone possesses immortality and who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see. And then 1 John 4 verse 12. 1 John 4 verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. So here in heaven, we see the fact that being made perfect and holy, we are able to behold the face of God. We will be able to see that which we cannot see now. For no mortal man can see the Father and His glory and not die. But in all eternity, we will be able to behold the glory of God and live forever. And then it says that we are sealed with the ownership of God, right? In verse 3. I'm sorry, in verse 4. And they will see His face, and His name will be upon their foreheads. We will be marked forever and ever as God's people, because we will bear His name for eternity. There will be no doubt who we belong to, There will be no doubt as to whom we serve. In Revelation 3, verse 12, Jesus said this, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God, my God, and my new name. This is the blessing that we have To be able to bear the name of God for all eternity. And then in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1, he says this, And then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. We have the blessing of being marked out as God's people for all eternity. And then John goes back. And in the, just the dumbfoundedness, he repeats again. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun. 
because the Lord God will illumine them. Again, John goes back in awe of there is no longer any need of any external light source because God himself and the Lamb are the light thereof. They completely fill the new heavens and the new earth with their glory. Can you imagine a source of light that is so powerful that it fills the earth and the heavens with light at all times? Never dimming, never waning, never losing brightness, but continually shining forth and lighting everything. That's a power source to behold, is it not? It's amazing to think about. And yet we will be able to live in the midst of that light. And we will be able to reign forever and ever with Him. How do we know that? The end of verse 5. And they will reign forever and ever. We have the promises of Christ fulfilled. That He who overcomes will sit down with Him upon His throne and reign with Him as He sat upon His Father's throne and reigned with Him. Scripture, right? Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Again, the promise of Christ to the church. Revelation 3, verse 21. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father upon his throne. And then in chapter 14 and verse 1 again. Oh, I'm sorry. 2 Timothy 2, 12. I read the line backwards. 2 Timothy 2, 12. For if we endure, we will also reign with him. And then he speaks the caveat that we need to be aware of. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. Again, are we a people being prepared for our home? Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. How are we being prepared? How are we being made fit for heaven? Because we know that heaven will be unlike anything we have seen or experienced before. And it will be in the glory and the presence of God and of His Lamb. And nothing unclean, and nothing unholy, and nothing unrighteous, and nothing, no liars, no abominations, no adulterers will ever be able to enter the kingdom of God and of His Christ. How are we being fit today? For that reality. Because heaven is a reality. Our heavenly home is a reality. Again, the writer of Hebrews, speaking of Abraham, said in his faith he was looking ahead to a city whose architect and builder was God, whose foundations were from God. That very city in which he looked to dwell. That land and city of promise. It wasn't the promised land in Israel. Because he marked himself out as a sojourner in the land of Israel, even though it was the land of promise. Because he was looking forward to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the heavenly earth and heavens that would be unending and unfading in heaven, kept in reserve for the people of God. Abraham in faith looked forward to that, and in looking forward to that, he was being fit for heaven. He was being fit for the role that God has marked him out for. So brothers and sisters, how are we being fit for that time and that day where we'll be called home? And none of us know that day or time. It could be in two seconds. It could be in 30 seconds. 
It could be in 10 days. It could be in 100 years. It could be in 1,000 years, which I don't believe it will, but it could be. But when we are called home, are we ready now? Are we being made fit now that when the reality of heaven comes, we are ready and not found lacking? That we are not, as he said to Nebuchadnezzar's son, you are not been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Are we ready? Are we marked with the seal of Christ now? And are we living lives as such for the glory of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for the opportunity to come and to worship you through the reading of your word, through the expounding of the scriptures, through seeing the glory of Christ and of God that we have to look forward to. Father, may we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. For those are the type of worshipers whom you desire. Father, may you continue to make us fit for our heavenly home. And we know that in the flesh we are never going to be perfectly fit. Until that day we shed the flesh and we are made anew in the image of Christ. And we are perfected because of the blood of the Lamb was sufficient. Father, we just pray that you will continue to lead and guide us in truth and in righteousness. That we would pursue Christ. That we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Father, in our hungering and in our thirsting, may we come freely to you. Because you said, ho, to all who hungers and thirst, come. And buy bread and wine without cost. Father, may we come to you. And may we drink of the living waters deeply. May we eat the bread of Christ. May we find satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone. May we not become complacent and satisfied in the things of this world that are fleeting and temporary. That are destined to be burned up up completely. But may we find our satisfaction. May we find our joy in the truth and the reality of our heavenly home which is focused on you, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask your blessing on this in Jesus' name. Amen.